Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. In today's episode, Rachel talks about her journey from midwife to mother. Rachel had supported hundreds of women through pregnancy and birth before experiencing it for herself. It might be tempting to think of this as the best possible preparation, but the reality for Rachel was that every challenge she experienced was magnified by guilt that she didn't intuitively have all the right coping mechanisms to hand. After struggling to conceive, Rachel was diagnosed with polycystic ovaries and treated for hypothyroidism. The first 20 weeks of her pregnancy were a daily struggle with chronic sickness. Her labour was incredibly fast and she was able to have a water birth surrounded by her trusted team of midwife colleagues. Breastfeeding struggles meant that the start of motherhood was an anxious time and we talk about the very real grief and trauma that come with a breastfeeding journey that doesn't go as planned. I think Rachel's experience is a reminder that every woman's journey is different and sometimes it's just not possible to prepare. There's so much useful information in this one and honest truth, so I hope you enjoy it. Let's dive in. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for being here and welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's so nice to see you and chat to you. This is lovely. Why don't we start with a little introduction, if you could please tell us your name, your age, where you're from, what you do in life and who is in your family, please. Um, so my name's Rachel, I am 32. Um, I am from Oxford, um, but living up in Yorkshire. Um, I am an infant feeding specialist midwife and a mum. And I um, have a daughter called Annabella, who will be four next month, and my husband, Carlos. Lovely. So um, I think the first thing I want to ask, because I just find it fascinating, the perspective of your profession and then your journey to motherhood. Um, Obviously, you were a midwife before you were a mother. But when did that desire to be a midwife begin can you pinpoint that moment um so my mum was a midwife um so I was always sort of aware Mm. of the profession whereas I think for a lot of people you're not really aware of it properly until you're in it um but I Mm. never she she never sort of encouraged it per se for all of its challenges Um, But I actually was um, signed up at uni to do or thinking about doing teaching. And I went abroad for a year to the Central African Republic as a tutor um, and sort of decided, actually, I wanted to be a midwife um, because there was a lady in the village there or it solidified my sort of thoughts of being a midwife because there was a lady in the village there who was an untrained midwife um, the sort of village doula as such uh-huh. and it was just incredible and it really sort of sparked my wow. passion of being able to help in difficult situations and just seeing birth as so raw and incredible. Yeah 
did you so did did you manage to see a birth with her or how kind of much did you get to see of what that looked like I saw a few births um I went to a couple of her clinics and um I was staying with some missionaries and um another missionary family's um dad was an obstetrician from America and he came over um and I sort of observed in his clinic which was amazing Um, but I just have a really vivid memory of a baby being born and then being swung by its legs and I'm assuming it was to sort of rouse it whereas now we would never do anything like that or anything in this country by swinging a baby but it was just incredible and I remember then the lady putting this baby on her back it must have only been a couple of hours after birth Um, and we were in a little clinic down by a river um, and she then walked back up the hill um, back to the little village and she was out on the fields with the baby in, in her in her sling a couple of days later um, and I was only 19 at the time and I think I thought about that after I'd had Annabella about how she just sort of put her baby on her back and got on with it and it was just mm. really just stark differences in our lives isn't it yeah yeah and do you think that the the culture of midwifery in Africa is something that I don't know like what what I guess what are the main differences that you know that you see now that you're a bit more experienced of the the UK culture of midwifery I mean we're we're highly medicalized we're highly interventionalized um but I do think we're coming back round aren't we you know um we are more promoting Mm skin-to-skin fourth trimester keeping babies together than we ever were in I guess the 60s 70s 80s um and we're we're trying to reflect that um natural birth that I saw in Africa that they just did as a (laughs) as a as a needs must but um I definitely think we've got a lot wrong in this country in that terms but at the same time I saw a very idealized image there there'll have been a lot that didn't go as smooth as that situation so um I have a lot of admiration yeah. for our country and our and our medicalization in a way because we also save lives so yeah, yeah. It's, you sort of see the two sides of it from a midwife perspective I guess mm, yeah but that's an amazing formative experience to have been able to have and kind of propel you onto that journey um and how long has it been that you've been a midwife now um so it'll be 10 years this September so it was three years training and then um, okay. another 10 years qualified. Mm-hmm. And what did you think about motherhood before you'd had a baby? And after having seen so many mothers go through that journey, what were your thoughts about it and what you wanted it to be like for you? Um, I think I was very lucky in that I had a lot of friends go before me um, who okay. I could really model myself off of and see the realities. But I do think it's still was a huge reality shock um I think just that newborn period you can look after someone as their midwife but you're in their house for if you're lucky an hour at a time um and Mm. I think it was just a huge reality shock just having that responsibility day and night on on you guys it's it's something that you never really can prepare for is it Mm. and so in in that way I don't think being a midwife prepared me for motherhood at all Mm. would you say that you always knew you wanted to be a mother yeah absolutely always from I don't know a really early age I always wanted to be a mother um Mm. I always wanted to I think that's what 
pushed me into a caring profession really is I always wanted to care for someone yeah I don't think I would have felt quite complete if I wasn't a mum that sounds quite cheesy but no it doesn't um (laughs) were you so you and your partner now Carlos were you together when you started out in your profession as a midwife or did you meet later on no yeah so we met I think I'd been a midwife about a year or 18 months when I met him I was on a labor ward placement doing lots of nights and I really was struggling actually with the job Mm. Felt a lot like um, I wasn't being the midwife that I wanted to be. I was on a very high risk labour ward, um, which I think coming from my previous experiences wasn't the type of midwife I knew I wanted to be. I was very much at heart into home births and working on birth centre community midwifery which is what I then went on to do later but when I met him I I wasn't having a love for the job and I think it fueled a lot of anxiety especially we we have a a room on our labor ward called the snowdrop suite which I remember working in a fair bit when I sort of was with Carlos and I'd come home and talk to him about sort of bereavement care um, which is really tricky when you're in a new relationship and going through quite deep things at work and then Mm. coming home and dating (laughs) yeah Um, how did he deal with that mm, yes I think it's just another world isn't it I think I more probably chatted to my mum about it because she she properly understood it coming from a midwifery perspective yeah um I think it probably just heightened my anxiety um rather than his really Mm. And how how did the two of you meet? So we met online um, on Plenty of Fish. Amazing. (laughs) Which is hilarious now when I think back to it. Um, So he was over here studying English, working at a special needs school in Wakefield. Okay. And he only really intended to be here for a year. But we met and he's stayed. It's been nine years now. Oh, and then... We're now nine years later. Um, what were the like initial conversations about babies and how early on did they happen? Um, so he's from a huge Brazilian family. Um, uh-huh. So he's always been around babies. Or I'm from a tiny family, but he, yeah, he was always really keen um, to have a family one day. He's a bit older than me as well. He's eight years older. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but we wanted to sort of get settled buy a house and it kind of all coincided we ended up buying this house a couple of weeks before Annabella was born so I think yeah we were married a couple of years after we actually had her but yeah she was very much planned and we actually ended up trying for quite a lot longer than we realized we would sort of need to Mm, Um, okay trying nearly sort of a year to get pregnant and how how were you trying? Were you at, at the beginning? Was it just like we'll stop using contraception and we'll see how this goes? Yeah. So um, I wasn't. This sounds really ridiculous as a midwife, but I wasn't really aware how irregular my periods were because um, I'd never uh-huh. really tracked them before. And then when I sort of started tracking them, when we hadn't got pregnant the first, you sort of assume it's going to happen the first month, don't you? But when it didn't happen the first couple of months, yeah. I started tracking them, and they were really irregular. Okay. And about at about six months in, we went for a scan, and they said I had polycystic ovaries. Oh wow! So you only learnt that during the conception thing. That's 
interesting yeah yeah because I didn't have any of like the other typical symptoms really Mm. um but I guess it's on a spectrum so I don't think it was obviously that bad because we did conceive naturally but um we got referred to fertility okay and they did some bloods as well um pre the hospital fertility treatment um appointment and I got diagnosed with hypothyroid as well right which again I had no idea of what is that exactly so hypothyroid is when your thyroid levels are low um and so it affects all it's your endocrine system so all your hormonal system really okay um so I started on thyroxine medication um and that month I got pregnant so that obviously was the protagonist rather than the polycystic ovaries really Mm. and when you say when you say you found out your periods were really irregular how what kind of spectrum of regularity was it so it was anywhere between 26 days and about 50, 60 days. Oh, wow. Goodness me. Yeah. But I don't know if it was exacerbated because there was stress then because yeah. I was tracking them. Yeah. And I was never sort of getting ovulation sticks right. So. Okay. And how did it like, how did you feel mentally during that time? Because I mean, I know that it's, it's a year is still perfectly within the normal range, but it's still a long time for anyone to be going through so much uncertainty. How was it for you? Yeah, I was really, I was really stressed about it. I think I got myself all really worked up about it, which probably didn't help. Um, I was working night shifts as well, which I don't think helped because mm-hmm. you sort of know when you're about to conceive, but if about about to ovulate, but then if your ship's in the night and he's working days, I'm working nights. Some mm-hmm. months, I thought, well, I could have ovulated and we've just missed the, <laughs> missed the boat here. Mm-hmm. So it was all just a bit stressful. And I think I, in hindsight, I probably made it more stressful than it needed to be in my mind. Mm. And Car- Carlos is like so laid back, which <laughs> didn't help when I was super anxious. He's just yeah. so chilled about everything. So um, he sort of knew it would be okay, I think. Yeah. And in hindsight, it was. And you actually, and I've had friends that have gone through sort of true fertility struggles that have lasted years. And in hindsight, mine was was absolutely fine but I think when you're in it you don't feel like that no and especially I mean you weren't super super young but you were on the earlier end of the motherhood spectrum in by our generation standards and so you do end up also maybe being a bit of a product of the echo chamber and feeling like everyone is getting pregnant like you say like that expectation of it's just going to happen immediately I think comes from maybe the fact that at that age a lot of people are getting pregnant very quickly but then with the benefit of hindsight like you say it's not the case oh absolutely and you're seeing babies every single day when you're when you're working with them and you think well were they all planned or have they just got lucky and I think it just when your whole world is about birth and babies I think it probably just gets in your head a little bit more doesn't it Mm. Um, okay, so first month of taking this medication and you fall pregnant, what was the process of discovering that news? Uh, so I, I think because I'd taken so many pregnancy tests and actually this one was the faintest little positive line. Um, and I showed Carlos and I was so excited and he was like, well, he just wasn't that excited, I think, because I'd showed him so many <laughs> pregnancy tests before. Um so um it wasn't it wasn't like filled with joy um and but you know I think I did a couple the next couple of days and it became you know 
a proper because we were kind of like is it is it not I don't really know mm. um and I wasn't a big fan of like the big expensive clear blue ones I just bought like cheap B&M ones yeah um and then you're sort of anxious um and I'm aware of the statistics I'm aware of women that missed appointments because of miscarriages yeah. and I think I just I wasn't super excited for long because I was you're sort of on crotch watch aren't you for <laughs> the first month or so Mm. so did you what when you were kind of sure that it was a positive did you decide to tell anyone else apart from Carlos or was the anxiety meaning that you wanted to keep it to yourself no yes we did tell um we did tell family and friends and everything because um I was really sick and I always know that's a really good sign that you're less likely to to be um to miscarry so we I didn't do like anything like waiting till the first scan. Okay. Um, I was actually sick on a woman's driveway at work and I was really worried that she would um, complain because <laughs> I was sick right on her doorstep. Um, so I went and told my managers, I think at about eight weeks, I was quite early when I told my managers because it was just sort of yeah. so obvious, I think. Um, and, I, and I was so worried about women um, complaining about, you know, the midwife being sick on the porch. Did they have a tummy bug or something like that? Yeah. Um, I was sick in a um, a toy box at a children's centre when I was doing a woman's appointment. Oh and gosh! It was just it was just constant. Yeah. Okay. So when did the sickness start? It started at about seven weeks. Okay. Um, through to I think about twenty weeks. Um, okay. Yeah, and then yeah, dramatically got better at that point. And so being seeing women experience the spectrum of sickness that's possible what were you thinking about the severity of your sickness because I think that sickness is is a tricky topic generally because people kind of it's very it's very personal how you respond to nausea and how you cope with it but it's also I think notoriously badly kind of diagnosed so what were you do you remember what you thought about how severe it was at the time yeah I think at the beginning I really just put it down to normal pregnancy sickness and I don't think um I realized how bad it was um until I got properly dehydrated really right and I think I carried on working um and it was probably inappropriate how I carried on working being sick so much at work Mm. um and I remember one day Carlos counted that I was sick 30 times (gasps) in a day and I was almost embarrassed to call up the hospital and ask to come in. Um, it, I don't know. I almost felt like I was, um, it wouldn't be taken seriously or people just sort of put it down to morning sickness, don't they? Mm. Um, and I don't think Carlos even realised that it was beyond the usual. But I honestly, I felt really resentful. I felt really resentful at the baby. I, I just felt like... I've just never felt so unwell in my life. Mm. Um, just really weak, no energy. Um, and I ended up going in and being rehydrated on our assessment centre. Okay. And I think at that point, I and people around me started to think, oh, actually, this is more than just the average morning sickness. And it gave me a bit of validation, really, that actually, yeah, I have been really unwell. I'm living off of ice lollies. I'm not, mm. I'm not doing well at all. I think I'd lost about two stone. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it was only in hindsight I diagnosed myself, really, or someone told me I had hyperemesis. Yeah. But at the time, I just thought, oh, I need to get, I need to get on with it. Like, 
women get on with it all the time. But as you say, there's such a spectrum and there's such negative attitudes towards that just get on with it sort of mm. culture with sickness isn't there yeah yeah and as well like the what you said about knowing you know you even had like an added thing of knowing that that was a really good thing in terms of the biology of your pregnancy but that just doesn't necessarily provide the the relief that you you need in that moment because it's such physical such a physical bodily experience that Mm. you can't kind of manage it necessarily with facts no you can't and I wrote a diary about it at the time actually because um and I've still got it and I I read it a little after Annabella was born and it made me really emotional because I wrote something about um that I it sounds awful to even say it out loud now actually but I I wrote down that I would almost be pleased if I miscarried because I felt so unwell Mm. and what an awful I can't even believe I've just said that what an awful thing to think about your 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 baby but to me it wasn't a baby it was just like this thing that was making me so sick and we'd wanted her for so long um but I just felt so miserable yeah I just felt so miserable and, and the medication that you can take the anti-sickness make you feel worse almost because they make you quite dizzy and tired um yeah I just yeah I think miserable is just the best word to describe it mm-hmm. no seriously th- thank you for being honest about that because I think that that must be the experience of of so many women that go through this and they don't feel like they can articulate it because because like you say it it sounds like something that you shouldn't say, but when you're feeling yeah. so horrific and that's the only thing that will provide you some respite, I think it's it's a very natural progression for your brain to make. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think I think there's probably, you know, we always thought we'd have quite a short age gap between children as well, but um, it's definitely been something mm-hmm. that I've been very nervous about. Annabelle is nearly four. Mm. Um, and obviously there's other things, financial and size of your house and everything like that but I think a main thing is that I've just it's like giving yourself a poison that I know I'm going to be in all the stats that sick or more again um and it's okay it's like do you, are you prepared to <laughs> to give yourself that that poison as such but um mm. yeah it's definitely a it was definitely wasn't fun if you I don't know if this is something that's going to be very easy to answer but if you do fall pregnant again is there anything that you would instinctively try and do differently in terms of managing it with knowing what you know now yeah I definitely think I tried to be mother earth last time I tried to wear sickness bands I tried all the homeopathic things that as a naive midwife I tried to tell women to do um, but mm. I would absolutely, the moment I fall pregnant, go to the doctor and get <laughs> the hardest, strongest anti-sickness I can and start okay. it like prophylactically this time. Absolutely. Okay. I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't mess around with it, I don't think. Mm, that's interesting. And then how did the second and third trimesters go? Were you at a better place where you could start enjoying being pregnant or were there any other complications so it didn't ease at 12 weeks at all I think it was nearer 20 weeks that it eased so that was another thing I was like oh is this going to continue the whole pregnancy um but I think it did around 20 weeks and then definitely for us I I needed to find out what we were having because I really didn't have much of a bond with this baby at all um Mm. so but I think from finding out we were having a girl um it was just, yeah, it, it, it did improve from then on. And I, I did feel quite well, actually, later on. 
um, okay. didn't have too many issues um, really yeah it was yeah it was fine okay and were you um did you always know where you would be like who would be looking after you I mean this maybe sounds like a crazy thing to ask but presumably you can't be your own midwife in the lead up to the birth no yeah no so you can't be your own midwife absolutely um but my friend Emma um looked after me who and she was just amazing and I'd been at the birth of her little girl um and so she was my midwife and um at the birth she actually missed the birth um by a couple of minutes because I was so quick but um she was there and it was just so reassuring and um yeah Mm. I'm so grateful um to have had someone well everyone that looked after me I knew as well but um yeah just to have that familiar face it was lovely yeah 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 yeah. amazing so how what preparation did you do for the birth um I didn't do loads I guess because I kind of knew it all um and I didn't even do or make Carlos do any like antenatal classes or anything mm-hmm. um I just I did a bit of hypnobirthing on just on Spotify as in just listen to some hypnobirth tapes on an evening to help me get to sleep and be a bit more chilled in the pregnancy yeah but I I kind of just trusted my body um mm. I, I wasn't overly worried about birth um I really felt like I knew my body would get her out safely mm. if that makes sense I, I didn't have much worry about it really okay um which is strange considering my job but I think a lot of the birth narratives that we see are kind of over dramatized and actually if you've yes. seen firsthand a lot of the more quote-unquote normal experiences I can actually see how that would reassure you quite a lot yeah on the one hand yeah so I went from working on the the labor ward which is the high-risk unit to then being a community midwife and I think that actually did me the world of good like you say just to see that these mums come home and they do have normal births and they do breastfeed and everything is fine Mm. um and that's the majority um and then I did a a stint um as we were trying to get pregnant on the birth center which is sort of as a that's sort of where my heart would lie really that and home births Mm -hmm. um I did quite a few of so um yeah like you say probably just seeing that things do go well yeah um changes that narrative a bit doesn't it yeah I think just like the volume of that experience as well as the I mean the the volume of narratives is what impresses upon people the the fact that it will be okay regardless of the complications and the outcomes almost so the fact that you were able to see all of those diverse experiences and see people kind of navigating that yeah I think also I just I just truly trusted my colleagues so Mm -hmm. that if anything was to go wrong I just um knew that I worked in an amazing hospital um and had a real wealth of experience around yeah um beyond my experience you know yeah um so I think that helped. Was there any part of you that thought about having a home birth? Because you mentioned that was kind of the, you went into it all yeah. Mother Earth. <laughs> that would be like the natural yeah. path to go down, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. So I was really keen on a home birth, actually. Um, I think there was a couple of things. So we did really con- seriously consider it. Carlos wasn't overly keen. Um, and my mum definitely wasn't keen. And I think that was the the, the midwife in her. Mm. Um and but I, I think the main thing was that we were moving house right. um so 
I couldn't mentally prepare for where this birth would be and in hindsight I would have been birthing among boxes and yeah um with decorations and stuff so I would do it a second time I would definitely have a home birth a second time okay. um if things went smoothly but um yeah I think I went I, I was very lucky that our trust um, that I worked at at the time had a birth center so it's a very home from home vibe so we the, the labor ward is slightly more high risk and then on a birth center okay. Um, it's more dimmed lighting, it's relaxed um, rooms without any of the sort of equipment, it's um, birthing balls, it's a water birth room, you know, so okay. it's, it's lovely really. Yeah, sounds like you've got lots of options as well to kind of try different things. Yeah. Um, so on the day itself, did you go into labour naturally? Yeah, so <laughs> we actually were in um, Leeds shopping Um we bought an iPad, a very expensive day. It was the day before my due date. And we, we went and had a Nando's and I just ate loads, which is ridiculous. And I honestly thought I just needed the toilet. I was just really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was having sort of contractions, but I thought they were sort of just Braxton Hicks triggered by <laughs> the Nando's. Um, and Carlos didn't have his... <laughs> Carlos didn't have his driving licence at the time, his British one. Right. So I had to drive drive us home having these like tightenings, okay. um, which was awful. Um, and about four hours later, she was born. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't long. My birth wasn't, my contractions weren't long at all. They were just really quick and intense. Wow. So at what point did you decide to go in? So I was in the bath um, at home for a long time. Um, and they were just coming thick and fast and I was quite anxious really and I was quite aware that first time births take a long time so I didn't go in necessarily because I thought it was time to go in I more just wanted to hear her heartbeat Mm -hmm. Um, so I I was just really prepared that I could go in and have a check and they could send me home if I needed to or I thought I'd go in and I'd be in really early labour and that's sort of fine they'd sort of let me stay because I'm staff (laughs) you know I didn't really know you could deliver a quick baby while you're there. <laughs> yeah, and my friend, um, so Carlos didn't have his driving license and I really didn't want to get a taxi because mm-hmm. I was just, I'd be mortified, I think, if um, <laughs> if I um, had my waters break or something in a taxi. Mm-hmm. Um, so my friend Hannah, who's a paediatrician, she actually works on a, a neonatal unit, so she's a perfect person. She um, she came over and took us in, uh-huh. um, but she put the wrong address in the sat-nav. Um, and she sort of said to me right it's only 20 minutes away Rachel that's like you know 15 contractions you can get there and she was amazing so I was sort of counting down the contractions in my head (gasps) sat in the back of her car with Carlos with the TENS machine on full full pelt and she was like oh the sat nav says we're here and we were in the middle of like a housing area and I was like oh Hannah this is, we're not we're not in the right place at all it was in hindsight it was so funny I feel like I know how angry I would have been when someone announced me that we weren't in the right place at the same time I was with the right person you know if the baby was born in the car to be in the car with a pediatrician is like the right person sure. um and so she got us there and um I just vomited because I always kept car sick as well so i vomited out the car door mm. um and just got straight out the car and walked in and I, what's funny is that we hadn't um I sort of shut the door and it was a car a children's lock in the back so Carlos couldn't get out <laughs> um so I think he was left behind a little bit she had to go back and get him That's funny. um 
and yeah so a bit of an eventful trip to the hospital yeah yeah I'll say um okay so but you did make it and what was the procedure when you got there like was it immediately obvious to everyone that you were really close to giving birth or how how long did that realization take? I'm pretty sure I was at the mooing stage when I got in um but I had an examination and I was actually I say only I hate using the word only but I was four I was only four centimeters and I was a bit like I am beyond here Mm. um so I got in the pool um and I I, when I think back I I think it was about 40 minutes 45 minutes and she was here so and we know that don't we that centimeters mean nothing really um in a straightforward natural birth Mm. um you can go for four to baby in however long but I think I just got in my head then that oh I'm only four centimeters I've still got hours ahead of me and I didn't really believe I was even pushing Mm -hmm. um I didn't do any of like the hypnobirthing techniques I didn't look at the midwife when she was telling me to breathe I didn't breathe I I think I screamed profanities (laughs) and she came out with me screaming and just pushing as hard as I could rather than me being in control because I think I just wasn't aware I was it was just too much too quick Mm, I want do you have any thoughts on why it went so quick because I don't know statistically but it certainly feels very very fast for a first birth um yeah no I, I guess I was um I think the water helps definitely yeah um I think staying as stress-free as possible which I wasn't at the end but I was very stress-free at home Uh um I was in the bath I was relaxed um things that aren't evidence-based but I had taken raspberry leaf tea capsules from 36 weeks which in you know that sort of um anecdotal evidence is about um increasing contraction strength and efficiency but that's not an evidence-based sort of medical yeah um advice but I don't know you could put it down to anything couldn't you I I guess I just it just was my body some women just are just are quick yeah and was it um Mm. was it at all stressful for you that it was progressing that quickly or were you when you realized that it was going quickly were you actually happy about that I think it was just intense I didn't get that time to really be worried or dressed to be honest it just sort of was happening mm-hmm. um so I just kind of remember Helen who was a lovely midwife who was with me just saying you're pushing you're pushing I was like oh no Aww. and she was born, you know she was just born imminently and I actually my, my one recollection of the birth which is awful from a midwife's point of view is her saying to one of the support workers can she get the sieve what's the sieve to, to, to clean out the pool because oh. I'd obviously opened my bowels in the water oh. and I was like I just had a Nando's <laughs> that's all I can remember saying oh. <laughs> awful, awful especially when it's your colleagues um <laughs> yeah and I, I definitely but I just think water births in general um you're you're upright you're moving you're not stuck in one position I just generally think that they are quicker and that's you know the evidence shows that they're quicker but I think it I think it just really helped mm-hmm. amazing though that that it was doing what needed to happen for you and that um yeah that like you weren't you know you're describing kind of not denial but like a bit of an out-of-body experience yeah and how how was your baby when she was born yeah she like amazing so she so water birth babies don't cry straight away so I had prepped Carlos for that because I always knew I wanted a water birth so they don't sort of come out and scream Uh um but she just came out 
bright big eyes um I I was shocked because she didn't look how I thought she would look um so Carlos is black skinned and I thought that she would come out with like this gorgeous afro Mm -hmm. this little sort of mixed race baby Um, and she was very pale um with a mop of very straight hair um but um I think you know it just took her a couple of months to (laughs) to get her skin color to how it is now um but yeah oh she was beautiful though and she was just wide alert and I think she was probably just as shocked as I was really Mm. and so what happened in the those moments following the birth were you able to spend time with her straight away and have some bonding moments yeah so initially so I was in the pool with her for a little bit and I knew I wanted to deliver my placenta naturally because I'd not had any drugs in labor or anything um but the pool was quite mucky. So we stayed in the pool a little bit and then I got out um, and I breastfed her to sort of help get my placenta out because breastfeeding sort of helps contract your your uterus. Mm -hmm. Um, And my placenta came out, I don't know, I don't know the timings, maybe 20 minutes after the birth, 30 minutes after the birth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that all was kind of straightforward. but a few minutes after that, so she'd fared and she'd had skin to skin and my placenta was out and everything. But I just didn't feel very well. I felt really dizzy, really, really out of it. Mm. Um, and they were checking, um, my midwife was checking my stitches because she wasn't sure of it. It had actually been quite a big tear um sort of down to my bottom um where I guess and I did I didn't control the birth at all I just screamed her out so it probably wouldn't have been a surprise if it had been quite a big tear Mm -hmm. um but I just wasn't tolerating the examination um and I was just feeling really unwell um and they did my blood pressure and it was quite low and it turned out um I passed quite a lot of clots like blood clots from my uterus um and lost a bit of blood so they took me to took me to theatre um which was just a real shame I mean they did absolutely right what they had to do but it was just such a shame I'd done this birth without any medication yeah. without any drugs and then I ended up with a spinal um oh. anesthesia separated from my baby like um yeah it was just um it was heartbreaking really yeah. um but the the right place to be for the clinical sort of situation and so what what was the procedure that they had to do so they got the sort of clots out of my uterus um and I think I had a little bleed in theatre as well but and it was mainly just suturing me under like good anesthesia part of me I remember actually feeling quite relieved because I really wanted her to get skin to skin and to to breastfeed and I thought well do you know what if I'd have been rushed to theatre straight away and separated from her without her having any contact with me or a feed, that would have just been mm-hmm. awful. And actually, this is happening to me now. Not, It's not impacted on her at all. Yeah. Um, so that, that, in a way, like a bit of a redeeming thing. Yeah. But it, yeah, that it was just um, it was just a shame. And I think in hindsight, the physiology of it was just that my birth was so quick. My uterus was just so overworked from doing really intense contractions um, mm-hmm. In hindsight, I probably shouldn't have opted for a natural delivery of the placenta. I should have taken the drugs, um, which okay. was kind of just like <laughs> my whole pregnancy in general. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just it was a bit of a shame. And I think it was quite scary for Carlos and my mum at the time. Yeah. OK, so after you left theatre, I mean, 
were you able to kind of return to the room where so um yeah he was with her in skin to skin um I think he was just stressed because you just see your wife Hmm. being taken away don't you um so he was very stressed I think um so I got taken to recovery for a little bit which is like the room next to theatre um and then what was really nice is instead of um being taken up to the postnatal ward and I imagine again because I was staff I got taken back to the birth center where like I knew all my colleagues were there you know that I'd recently worked on there mm-hmm. um and I had like all my recovery in our own room on there which was really lovely so Carlos had his own bed and it was just really private and comfortable um so I feel very privileged to have got that mm. um and I got home the same day actually which was really nice so as soon as my anesthetic had worn off and I'd done a wee and she'd fed okay. um we got home yeah. so it was it was nice actually just on the um the tearing so you said that they weren't sure whether you'd had a bad tear because of the bleeding but had you in the end ha- had you torn badly or was it a fairly minor tear yeah so 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 they classify tears so like first degree second degree and third degree so first degree is like your skin layer second degree is into the muscle and third degree goes through to like the anal sphincter um and it was just at the margin of that so it wasn't classified as like a third degree tear but it was quite a deep one um so it just took a while for my stitches to heal it just wasn't overly fun but I didn't have any sort of bad complications afterwards okay um and how was coming home what do you remember that moment just yeah just really bizarre I think just I think everyone says it don't they like you get home and they're asleep in the car seat and you're like oh I don't know what do I do now and I think Carlos and my mum were making up the pram because we hadn't made anything up yet um but it was yeah it was was quite relaxed to be honest I think my mum and Carlos are very relaxed um and we didn't have any imminent visitors or anything. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was just really nice. Yeah. I didn't feel worried about that initial bit. Okay. How was breastfeeding for you? You mentioned that you had like that first moment where she fed and was the rest of it. I mean, firstly, did you want to breastfeed for a long time? And then how did it go? Yes. So a bit like how I kind of trusted that my body would birth the baby really well I kind of very naively went into breastfeeding that of course I'll breastfeed and of course it'll be fine Mm -hmm. um and I never had any other plans really um and I think it was a whole journey that then led me to the career I'm doing now which is um infant feeding Mm -hmm. um because it just was really difficult it was really emotive um so I got really sore at the beginning um and struggled with the latch for the first week um she lost a bit of weight so she lost about 10% of her birth weight which I which isn't the worst thing in the world but I took it really personally and got really upset about it um and that's even knowing how acceptable that is oh of course yeah yeah. I think I I just I was I was you know you're in the heights of hormones aren't you and baby blues and I was shattered and I think I just was really I just felt like a real failure with breastfeeding yeah. from start to finish really and I, I still hold a lot of it um I haven't I think I haven't really dealt with a lot of it still now um mm-hmm. but she then took a good I think she didn't get back to her original birth weight till she was 31 days like she just looked tiny she okay. fed like 
half hourly to hourly for the first, I don't know, two months. Um, Mm -hmm. So she was exclusively breastfed um, initially. Um, She was diagnosed with a tongue tie, which she got snipped but that didn't overly help. I think it helped my latch a little bit, but not overly. How old was she when that happened? She was about two weeks when she had the tongue tie snipped. Um, And I saw lots of different midwives. So where I lived wasn't the trust that I worked at at the time. So it wasn't midwives that I knew that were looking after me afterwards. Um, which I found, again, quite difficult because I think people knew I was a midwife um, and sort of assumed I knew what I was doing. And I and I Mm. truly didn't. I was an I was an absolute emotional wreck, really. Um, And I'd seen my friends like breastfeed fine and not all of them, but um, I'd seen the struggles. But I just think I assumed I'd be fine with it. And it really took took me back, to be honest. Um, Mm. And I went to see. the infant feeding team who is now my lovely manager and she was the first person that sort of recognized that actually it wasn't the latch it it was my milk supply that was the issue so whether that was from the medications or from my blood loss at birth but actually in hindsight I think it was due to my thyroid being low okay that's really interesting yeah so where my thyroid being low had like obviously impacted my periods what yeah. the guideline is, is that you drop back to your pre-pregnancy dose of thyroxine in the postnatal th- period. But I'd never had a pre-pregnancy dose because the month I started it, I'd got pregnant. So I'd never sort of found this equilibrium of what dose I should be on. Mm. Um, but that wasn't discovered till much later on. Um, but she, you know, was amazing and was like, oh, your baby's on and sucking, but she's just not swallowing as um you know to the ratio that we'd like right um so that was quite eye-opening but then things sort of improved um and I continued to breastfeed but at about eight weeks she just sort of stayed stagnant with her weight um and um again that just took a bit of an emotional hit on me Mm. um so I was breastfeeding on both sides I was pumping I was giving her a top up of express milk yeah um and it was just exhausting so eventually I added in some formula top ups as well so for seven months I would breastfeed give her top ups and pump yeah and I, I, I ditched the pumping actually earlier than that because it was just too much so eventually I would breastfeed both sides and then give a formula top up yeah and the formula top ups just got bigger and bigger and the breastfeeds just got smaller and smaller mm-hmm. um and when I when I started weaning her when she started properly taking food at sort of seven months ish is when I guess they properly get a bit into food don't they mm-hmm. um I just thought I can't I can't continue this anymore and I stopped I stopped the breastfeeding yeah. which again was heartbreaking because it wasn't what I wanted I didn't want to be I think I felt a lot of guilt I've got an amazing group of friends that I'd met in an antenatal class um none of them medical and they were all breastfeeding beautifully mm-hmm. and I, I I always felt like well I'm the one that's breastfeeding and then getting a bottle out afterwards and I felt like and they wouldn't judge me at all they're the most amazing people they're such close friends of mine yeah. I always felt like worried what people would think yeah. um and sorry it's quite um makes me quite emotional but um yeah it was just a whole whole journey and I think there's lots I could have done differently in hindsight um 
that I think hopefully I'll find therapeutic next time to get a bit of redemption from it um and I do get a lot of a lot of um I don't know closure out of helping other mums in the same situation now um I think a lot of it in hindsight was at six months I, I went to the GP and I was saying I'm so tired all the time and that was the first time I'd had my thyroid rechecked okay. and it, the levels I was on wasn't right. So I do wonder if I'd have been on the right levels because there's definitely an evidential link between low thyroid or uncontrolled low thyroid and low milk supply. So I do, I put it all down to that, but who yeah. knows really? Yeah, I I think just what strikes me the most in, in the breastfeeding story, but I suppose the, the, the birth part as well, is just how your background is it hasn't made you more prepared or more qualified or more anything to go through that absolutely you can I suppose you could read that in two ways like either you could find that reassuring as a mum who's not you know (laughs) not done any prep or it's a bit you know like it's just a very very sobering reminder that you're so out of control of what's happening to you and that you know like breastfeeding no matter how well prepared you are is just a total minefield for lots of people Uh, and what's really sad is so now um I've done specialist training in breastfeeding I've just taken my IBCLC exam to be a lactation consultant Mm -hmm. I've done extensive um studying basically and it's a whole world um but you can't expect that the average midwife has done all that it's been a couple of years Mm -hmm. of my life that's been all consuming to do these extra courses um and for for the average midwifery training they have got from conception to 28 days postnatally as their remit they're not going to be specialized in every single area and that you know and but it really hit home to me how little I as the average midwife knew about breast milk production things that can inhibit it suck swallow ratios tongue ties um and I think I felt really let down by my training um but then I, at the time, but now I can see it where, you, you know, you don't expect your GP to know everything about, you know, GPs refer on to haematologists and endocrinologists and oncologists. There's always got to be that baseline yeah. that then refers on to the specialist. And I think that's how I see it now. But I didn't mm-hmm. see it like that then. I felt just that either I was a terrible midwife or that I was let down by my training in the breastfeeding remit if that makes sense yeah I think there's there's so much to for you to unpack isn't there in all of that like the the line between like personal and professional and like your own expectations of yourself as a mother but also as a midwife are so almost inextricably linked that it's um it's a very very complex thing for you to process emotionally it is and I think I think the other side of it is is that mental health side of it so I don't think I had postnatal depression or postnatal anxiety or anything like that but I do definitely think um there's a researcher and an author I don't know if you've heard of her called Amy Brown and she does a lot of research into breastfeeding related grief Uh and I read a book of hers called breastfeeding grief and trauma and it just summed it up perfectly for me that what I'd experienced or what I have am experiencing is a breastfeeding grief and women that don't have the feeding journey that they wanted to 
or had to stop before they were ready they do suffer like a grief from it it's a loss of something that you were wanting for you and your baby Mm. um and you know in the context of it I still breastfed her for seven months yeah which is amazing it wasn't how I wanted it to be do you know what I mean yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and now that you've completed that course do you feel like if you had all the information that you now have do you feel like your journey would have been could have been different or is it too difficult to say uh no entirely like it would have been entirely different I think I wouldn't have been in my head so much I would have had the right you know so many of my friends now are um doing their training or become um lactation consultants um if in future I would absolutely have um I have no worries about it actually um and I I would just be able to support myself a lot better um or maybe not because maybe I'd be in the heights of tiredness and hormones but I I would have the people around me to put me into perspective a bit more I think Mm -hmm. yeah and how was the rest of the fourth trimester breastfeeding journey aside was there anything else you can think of that you weren't prepared for or didn't happen how you thought it would um not particularly I think I I really embraced it I I wore her in a sling I just yeah I just absolutely loved apart from I think the breastfeeding issue aside I absolutely just loved it like I absolutely loved maternity leave I absolutely loved that um first couple of months I mean it was very tiring and it's a lot isn't it but um yeah I think but that's amazing that you were able to feel like that despite the challenges yeah yeah and she's such you know I I co-slept with her and I baby wore her and I think that's part of the benefit of knowing about the whole phenomenon that's the fourth trimester you know she was very much um not a Moses basket sleeping baby she would never really settle um yeah unless she was next to me and she she's we've got a really close attachment now and I absolutely love that um and she's a really independent little girl though you know she'll be really attached to me at home and then take her to a soft play and she's off and I I absolutely attribute that down to um (laughs) having that that bond in 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 the in the fourth trimester so um I'm really appreciative of that to be honest yeah yeah when and how long did you take off work um I went back I think the day after her first birthday so um I took 10 months of maternity leave and then you get like your annual leave in the NHS so I was very lucky um that's one of the big Mm. benefits of the NHS isn't it that you get a good maternity leave Um, and I enjoyed it I had friends off um at the same time um friends to go through exactly the same thing we would you know one of my really close friends we would text at every feed in the night and we got each other through it a lot and like met some really lovely people um so yeah it was a really special time actually maternity leave yeah and do you feel like I'm curious about your job do you feel like you're a different midwife post having your own baby do you think you've changed anything about how you care for other mothers oh absolutely yeah I think not so much. So I went back from maternity leave in the pandemic, which (laughs) was really difficult. Um, So you couldn't really be the midwife you wanted to be in May of 2020. Um, 
And I don't necessarily think it changed how I was as an antenatal or intrapartum midwife, like for the birth or for pregnancy. Um, but certainly just that empathy of what new mums are feeling at their postnatal visits, and especially with feeding, I definitely think mm. it made me a better midwife because of it. Um, just more understanding. Um, and yeah, just, yeah, I think, yeah, I think from the the heart side of things, it made me a lot better. And then um, certainly now that I've specialised into yeah. the feeding world, um, it's made me a better midwife, just having gone yeah. through it myself. Yeah, really. I feel like if I have any more children, I would love to have you as my midwife. <laughs> um, okay, just a couple of more lighthearted ones to end on then. Um, so we know that your meal, last meal before birth was Anandes. What was your first meal after birth? Oh my goodness, salty toast at the hospital um, with, you know, NHS salty butter, which is just the best. That was my first proper meal. And then actually, do you know what was lovely? My church, um, church group, every night for two weeks, they brought a meal round to the doorstep. um, So we didn't have to cook for two weeks and it was just so nice. Um, That's the best present anyone could ever arrange for you. Um, it's not having to think about meals. hundred percent. Legends. Um, uh, yeah, do you have any products slash resources that you couldn't have done without? You mentioned that book, uh, which I'll get the name off you. Breastfeeding, Grief and Trauma. Um, mm. Products. I think hackers are incredible um, for just that bit of extra milk expressing so that you're not sort of sat honking on an electric pump forever. Is that the one that you have on your other side while you're feeding? So it kind of collects passively. Yeah, catches your leg down, yeah. Um, And stretchy slings. I think that's like my one bit of advice to new mums now is like wear your baby. That, you know, we can't expect them to settle and they will sleep well on you. And I absolutely loved um, my stretchy sling. Mm-hmm. Um, so comfortable so easy and it just made me feel a bit more human because I could hang the washing out I could do the dishwasher I could go to the toilet with yeah. her on me was it one of the ones that you had to tie yeah so I think now they do do a lot better ones don't they but it was like a really long bit of fabric that you had to kind of like you know twist around your body mm-hmm. um, I think now they do ones that you can sort of more click in can't they yeah they? but um, yeah so it was a bit of a faff you know if you were getting out of the car and it was puddles on the floor because it would get wet as it if you were trying to put it on Um, (laughs) but I loved it amazing and then Ken last one can you think of like a that's one in itself but any other like mum hacks that you learn on the job oh gosh I think um take the vest downwards when they're doing a poo explosion I don't know why I never knew that I was always pulling it up over her head and she was getting poo everywhere I never really thought through the fact that vests can go downwards as well I feel like I still haven't learned I think that's an unpack for me two children later (laughs) absolutely um what are the hacks oh um I think just knowing that everything's a phase this isn't a hack but I think my one bit of advice is everything's a phase and everything passes like someone once said to me this too Mm -hmm. shall pass um and it's so true not even in newborn life but toddler tantrums night terrors sleep deprivate like it all does just pass and move on to something else doesn't it and just um just living in the moment with it I guess Mm. Thank you so much. That was um, such a 
an interesting chat and I think you have been through a lot and I've been very very strong to overcome all of the things that were thrown at you and just thanks for your honesty it was um it's really been really lovely oh you're welcome thank you thanks for having me that's fun that's the end of this episode take care and see you next time